Well, hey, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Colossians uh, chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, we have a gift Bible for you. You can go to our Next Steps area in the Commons. We would love to give you a copy of God's Word. Uh, if you don't have one, we want to make sure you have one. But if you don't have one handy now, you can maybe turn your phone on, put on the Version app, or you can watch here on the screen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's all stand as we get our aerobics in this morning. I didn't get to preach last weekend uh, here, and so you know I only did one service service up at the Cape, three service. I've got about four hours worth of sermon I got to get out of me, all right? All right, here we go. Colossians chapter two. Matter of fact, hey, let's get into God's word. All right, here we go. Colossians chapter two, verse one. The Bible says, Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches, the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all are in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You may be seated. What, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want to be a little taller? Well, what do you want to be when you grow up? You ever been asked that question before? Today we're going to talk about Maturity. And for some of you, you're going to be like, oh, well, we're going to talk about maturity. Well, that's a boring sermon. And I understand what you're getting at because I had to think about all week what we were going to talk about. But here, here's, here's the question. How mature are you? Now, a lot of that is answered by how mature you want to be because we, we live in a culture that glorifies youth and wants to postpone Maturity. There was a recent New York Times article uh, that said that it was entitled The Death of Adulthood in American Culture. One sentence that stuck out out of the entire article was this. No one grows up anymore, but everyone gets older. I mean, we're down here in sunny southwest Florida. People want to look young. They want to feel young. They want to act young. There is an obsession with youth culture. There is an obsession with reversing the effects of aging. Because if you think about it, maturity in our culture sounds boring. It sounds like something you want to avoid because no one wants to get old. No one wants to turn into their parents, right? <laughs> and because of that, we are living in what some call a tragedy of immaturity. And we're seeing the extension of adolescence. Sociologists and psychologists would say that adolescence for years was considered to be between the ages of 10 and 18. But now in our new youth-obsessed culture, it's now extended to the mid-20s. Do you know that the committed gamer in America is not a teenager. The committed gamer is a 35-year-old man who lives with his parents. 
Jonathan Haidt, who wrote a recent book, uh, not a believer, wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, talks about how colleges and higher education is now trying to do more to coddle the next generation than to challenge them. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are colleges in this country who have gotten rid of failing grades for their students. And all of this is so that the student would have better levels of self-esteem. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want a doctor going to one of those colleges, <laughs> right? I want to make sure he had a passing grade, all right? I mean, he, I don't care what his self-esteem is as long as he knows what he's doing or she knows what she's doing, right? And, and because we have this coddling of the American mind, because we have this obsession with youth culture, we now have in, in, in our Western society a failure to launch. We now have those who should be maturing into adulthood now having little ambition, low work ethics, no idea about the direction of their lives. Most of them are narcissists. They have trouble managing stress and they have an inability to take on any type of responsibility. I'm here to tell you that maturity is a good thing. It means you're grown up. And here's why it's a good thing. Maturity helps you avoid embarrassment. Maturity helps you avoid unnecessary suffering because you're immature. Maturity is the difference between respect and regret. Maturity is the difference between making an impact on the world around you and wasting your life. But as bad as immaturity is in our culture, it's even worse when it's spiritual immaturity in the church. See, unfortunately, a lot of people have been church hurt. Maybe you're watching online and you don't want to come in person because you've been hurt by the church. And the reason why many people have been hurt by the church is they've been hurt by the immaturity of people who call themselves Christians in the church. And one of the themes, if you read the New Testament, if you're a Bible scholar, even if you just read it, you'll see that the New Testament writers are pleading with believers to grow up, to stop acting like children and to actually become the mature spiritual adults that God wants them to be. And as we read the book of Colossians, one of the themes that is a thread throughout the entire book is this call for spiritual maturity, not the coddling of the Christian mind, not six helpful hints from Heloise. It is how can I grow up as a Christian? Paul here is writing to a young church filled with new believers. It is a church that is on fire. Everyone in all of Asia Minor from Laodicea is coming into this church. They are doing some amazing things. And Paul here is not, is not upset or mad that they have fallen away from Jesus. He is trying to encourage them to not leave Jesus. And so this book is about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus to remind them that you need deep roots in Jesus if you're going to survive a chaotic world around you. So some scholars call this uh, book a vaccination, not an antibiotic. So Colossae uh, was like our day. It was filled with a buffet of religious pluralism. 
And there was a temptation for those young believers then to go with the flow of the culture. And so Paul says, if you don't wanna go with the flow of the culture, you've got to grow up and be spiritually mature. And I wanna tell you right now, what is getting a lot of believers off track is they're not spiritually mature. And so here's what we're gonna learn today. In these verses, Paul gets to the very heart of the letter, teaching about the struggle for and the secret to spiritual maturity. So we're going to look at the struggle for maturity and the secret to maturity. So here we go. Let's unpack it. Number one, the struggle for spiritual maturity. Verse one, for I want you to know how great a struggle. Paul here is continuing the thought that we saw in chapter one, because remember, there were no chapter divisions. Paul didn't write in chapters. He just wrote it out like you would write a letter. And so he's continuing his thoughts on his ministry and why he was suffering. And he says that the reason why I'm suffering and the reason why I am the way I am, I'm a servant of Christ suffering for Christ and the strength of Christ is so that I can make the word of God fully known and then verse 28, that I could present everyone mature in Christ. Paul uses this word struggle in chapter one and he also brings it here in chapter two. It's that word, we get our word agony from. Agonizo is the Greek word. And then he uses the word great. So that word is our word mega. So he has mega agonizo, he's in great agony. Paul says that my daily life is hand-to-hand combat, blood, sweat, tears, boogers, and prayers for you. Why, Paul? Because I, Paul saw his responsibility was for their spiritual maturity. Any pastor that is worth their weight sees that their calling is not to be a celebrity. See, if your job as a pastor is to be a celebrity, then you're just going to preach cotton candy sermons to get taglines and bylines on Instagram so people will like you and people will follow you so that you can have a following to meet some sort of insecure issue you have in your heart. Real pastors, real preachers of the word of God teach real truths, even if they may cause people to be upset because they care more about their people's spiritual maturity than they do about being a celebrity. And it's painful and it's hurting. And that's what Paul's vision, Paul's vision for the Colossians is my vision for you here in Naples is that you would have spiritual Maturity. Paul, even though he wasn't with them, even though he was far from them, was fighting for them for their spiritual development. He wanted them, if we were to summarize verses two through five, he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted them to be knit together in love with full assurance and firmness in their faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted them to be grown up. He wanted them to have unity in their community. And he wanted them to have the ability to spot truth from error, fact from fiction, and gospel from religion. Good parents want their kids to grow up and eventually move out of the house. Amen? Good parents want their kids to get a job, to keep the job, be on their own, thrive, and reproduce grandkids so that they can spoil and then send them back home. (laughs) Amen? Amen. 
To do that as a parent means that you struggle mightily so that your kids will grow up. That's what Paul's doing. He's struggling mightily for their spiritual maturity. Now, let's, let's define that, okay? One word definition, spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness. A spiritually mature person is like Christ. More long form this, spiritual maturity is having Jesus Christ as the epicenter of everything in your life. You, you see this thought in Paul's writing, chapter one, verse 28, I want you to be mature in Christ. I want you to understand the mystery which is Christ. I want you to have faith in Christ. So according to the Bible, spiritual maturity is based on and measured by our conformity to Jesus Christ. It's not how much you go to church, it's not how much money you give, it's not how nice you are to people or how much you serve. It is based on and measured by your conformity to Christ. Stephen Rankin said this, a spiritually mature Christian is one whose character, disposition, words, and actions emulate the character of Jesus Christ himself. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard, right? Can I get a witness on that one? There's some days I don't wanna be like Jesus. It is a struggle. Like, some, I just don't want to grow up. It's like the Toys R Us. I don't want to grow up because I'm a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up. Sometimes I like to be a baby. Anybody else get a witness on that? Right? When I'm sick, I want to go into baby mode. And I want my wife to take care. I mean, right? Can I get a witness on that? I don't want to grow up. But we, get, we, we need to grow up, right? And so it is hard, and, but some of you are thinking, well, hey, if I gotta be a grown-up Christian, that means I've gotta be perfect. Well, good luck. I'm not telling you that when you think of Christian maturity, you have to be perfect. The idea is not perfection, the idea is progress. Now, the other thing I wanna just go ahead and give you a little disclaimer, age does not equate maturity. I know a lot of old fools, amen? So the idea of maturity is not based on age, it's not perfection, it's not achievement. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, the important thing about you is not the things you achieve, but the person you become. Now, like, if, here's the thing. Paul knew himself, he's writing. He knew he wasn't perfect, but he was making progress. Philippians chapter three, Paul says this, not that I've already attained this, not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says it's not perfection, it's progress. So if that's what spiritual maturity is, it's Christ-likeness, it's progressing towards spiritual, uh, towards Christ-likeness, then what is immaturity? I really wanted to write a whole bunch of stuff on this, and then I got convicted. And so here's, here's what I want you to understand. It is easy to spot immaturity in others and not see it in ourselves. Can I get a witness on that one? Because we tend to think we're the grown-ups, not the babies. I'll give you an example here. The other day, one of my kids, who will not be mentioned, was pouting, and upset and acted so childish because of a game they lost. And I looked at them and I said, hey, grow up. <laughs> Last night, 
Kentucky lost their third game in a row at Rupp Arena. The first time we've lost three home games is 1967. And I was upset. And I was pouting. And I was acting childish. And this kid looked at me. And he said, Dad, grow up. What are y'all clapping for? So let's go talk about you now. All right, so <laughs> immaturity means that there is a stage of development you've not grown into. So let me just talk about, and I'm gonna do this quick. This could be a long sermon. So if you were like hoping to get out, like, the Super Bowl doesn't start till 6.30. We're good, all right? <laughs> we'll talk about four stages of spiritual growth, four stages of development. It follows physical, kind of physical growth. So there's infant, child, adolescence, and adult. So a spiritual infant is categorized by ignorance and need. If you're a brand new Christian, you are a spiritual infant, and therefore, you're a consumer, right? That's, that's all babies are about. They eat, they sleep, they poop, they rinse and repeat. All babies care about is being fed and having their bottoms wiped. Okay, that's spiritual infants. A spiritual child is still a consumer, but they've grown up a little bit. So they're a little more self-aware, but yet as they become more self-aware, they become way more self-centered and things are very simplistic. And so what the spiritual child, just like the physical child, they are really only concerned about what they eat and what they do. And so most spiritual children, they, they will be consumed if they're not careful with an Edo diet. You know what an Edo diet is? An Edo diet is a diet that consists of Cheetos, Doritos, and Oreos. <laughs> and so you, you have to watch out because spiritual children will start eating the Edo diet of spirituality and they will become obese, and they will become unhealthy. The next level is spiritual adolescence. And again, this is where the, 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 the spiritual person, the person is becoming more self-aware, more God-aware, more others-aware, and it's normally in spiritual adolescence that there is a, a crisis of their faith that requires them to make a decision whether the faith that they believe, they say they believe, is really what they believe. Normally, it's this crisis of, of spiritual adolescence where you have to really come to grips as, is what I believe legit or not? And then the last stage is spiritual adult, and that is they have now conned past the consumer, and they are now a contributor. A spiritual adult is an intentional contributor, and they are now a spiritual parent that reproduces disciples that reproduce disciples. You see what I'm getting at with that? And so a healthy church has people in all four stages. If a church has nothing but spiritual adults, that means that there's something wrong because there is no spiritual reproduction. If a church is filled with spiritual infants, then that means that there is no discipleship happening, and I will tell you right now, the church will cry a lot and smell like doo-doo. <laughs> what we want in, here at first is we want people in all four stages. So we have in this room spiritual infants, spiritual infants, 
Spiritual children, spiritual adolescents, and spiritual adults. And this is why we constantly say you always have a next step because we don't want you to stay in the stage that you're in. We want you to grow from it. And so some of you, you, maybe you can do some introspection today. Where am I? Am I a spiritual infant? Am I a spiritual child? Am I a spiritual adolescent? Am I a spiritual adult? You can make that decision for yourself or if not, your husband or wife will, okay? And so, but here's what I wanna get at it is the struggle to grow up spiritually is real, isn't it? Because it is war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's why Paul calls it a mega struggle. Because Paul understands, and he wants us to know that spiritual maturity requires suffering. You don't grow any other way. And there are always growing pains to growing up spiritually. You don't just wake up one morning and you are all loving, all kind, all patient, don't struggle with lust, don't struggle with greed, don't have issues sharing your faith. You just don't wake up. There are no accidental saints. Moving from passivity to maturity will always be met with resistance. And so if your life is smooth sailing and there are no problems, you are not growing. Where there's no movement, there's no friction. But where there's a movement for God, there always will be friction with the world, period. I wanna give you three things that stunt you spiritually, stunt your growth. The first thing that'll stunt your growth is discouragement. He says in verse two, he says, I am praying, I am struggling so that their hearts would be encouraged. We live in a world where seldom is heard an encouraging word. We live in a day of discouragement. You go on TV, you're gonna be discouraged. You watch the news and you see our political options right now, we got dumb and dumber and you can decide who is dumbest, okay? You look at the economy, you look at everything going on, there is a lot, you, you go on social media, you wanna be discouraged? Look in the mirror. We live in a world of discouragement. And here's discouragement, here's why it's a stunter to your spiritual growth. Discouragement takes your attention from Christ and puts your attention on everything that's not going right. And you become cynical, you become fearful. Here's the ultimate outcome for discouragement. Discouragement wants to cause you to deconstruct. Discouragement wants to cause you to quit. How many times, let's, let's, we're gonna have honesty this morning. How many times have you gotten really serious about your faith and you start going to church, you start reading the Bible, you start praying, and then you hit a wall, something happens, it's tough, and you say, well, that didn't work, and you quit. Or what you do is this, you hit a wall and instead of quitting, you double down and it still doesn't work and you get discouraged. Anybody else on that one? And what happens is what God is doing in the discouragement is not 
for your pain. It's not for your deconstruction. It's for your development. God wants you to go through the wall. But in that meantime, it can stunt your growth if you don't go through the wall. That's why Paul says, I want their hearts to be encouraged. Second, the second thing that'll get you is distraction. What will stunt your growth spiritually is discouragement and distraction. He says in verse four, note that he says, I'm writing to you so that no one would deceive you or delude you with plausible arguments. He says, what will kill you spiritually is that there are things that sound good, but aren't good for you. Again, it goes to the Edo diet. You want to grow in your faith, but there are other things that vie for your attention. So you're pursuing God, but then all of a sudden your phone dings, your friend calls, something happens, something comes up, divides your attention, and then you end up settling for something lesser. John Ortberg said this. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Third thing that'll stunt your growth is disobedience. And I'll tell you this, nothing stunts your spiritual growth more than sin. Now you can fake it. Some of you are right now. The fake you is doing just fine. Because you're coming to church. You came to church this morning. You, you came to the 10 o'clock service. You got up early. You're here, you got your, maybe you have a Bible. Maybe you said a prayer today. You, and, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm growing. But yet there's some sin in your life that's unconfessed. There's some sin in your life that you got, you got to deal with. And I'll tell you right now that as long as you're holding on to unconfessed sin, you'll never grow deeper and you'll never grow up into the person you want to be because you're not going to let go. And it keeps you from growing. It's kind of like this. Like if you want to get tall, the way to get tall is not holding a 100-pound dumbbell on each arm. That may make your arms grow longer, but it won't make you grow any taller. Here, trying to advance spiritually while holding on to sin is like running a marathon with a broken leg. It won't happen. And so now you're, all right, well, preacher, then how do I fix this? I want to give you the secret. You want the secret to maturity? I'm gonna give it to you. Actually, the word of God's gonna give it to you. How, if, if it's struggle is real and it's hard and I'm looking at myself and I'm not what I want to be, then how can I be who God wants me to be? And we find it in one of the two gr most central verses of the entire book of Colossians, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Here we see the secret of maturity. Begin in verse six, therefore. It's a big therefore. Therefore, is everything that was written to get us here, therefore. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, stop. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? If you are a Christian, you received him by grace through faith. You repented of your sins. You believed in the gospel and you submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You surrendered yourself. Nowhere in there did I say you prayed some prayer, you got baptized, you did the hokey pokey. No, 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 no. You believed in Jesus, you repented of your sins, and you submitted to his lordship. And in that moment, even though you may not have understood everything, in that moment, you declared you are no longer lord of your life. And in that moment, you said to Jesus, I choose you. Now, I want to say here, just a little side note. 
Some of you in this room are unsaved Christians. That is, you call yourself a Christian, you have the bumper stickers, you vote Christian, but you have never submitted your life to Jesus Christ. If that is the case, repent, trust in Jesus, submit to him today. I'm telling you right now, Satan wants to deceive you. Trust in Jesus. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's the first command, walk in him. It's the prayer that Paul prayed in chapter one, that you would walk worthy of him. Paul here is using the walking as a metaphor for living everyday life. And so as you receive Christ Jesus, this is how you walk in him. This is how you live your life. This is how you grow up. This is how you mature. Maturity is how you live your everyday life. Maturity is not how much Bible knowledge do you know, although Bible knowledge is important. Maturity is not how much money you give, even though giving money is important. Maturity is how you live your everyday life. And so if you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, Paul says, live like it and act like it. Grow up. Not to be saved, but because you're saved. Let me give you two biblical examples. I want you to think about this. Stay with me. Jesus came into the town of Jerusalem and he saw this dude who'd been laying on a mat for many, many years because he couldn't walk. Jesus looks at the man, says, rise, take up your bed and walk. In that moment, Jesus healed this man's legs, healed this man's body, and he had the ability to walk. But what if this guy looked at Jesus and said, you know what, Jesus, I kind of like this mat. I wanna just hang out in this mat. Now you understand how nasty that mat, mat was? Have you ever gone to the gym and get on one of those yoga mats? You know how nasty those things are? There's more bacteria in, on a yoga mat at a gym than there is in a toilet. Matter of fact, you might be better off eating from a toilet than laying on a yoga mat at a gym. Amen? Think twice. This man, what if he had said, you know, Jesus, I'm just gonna stay in this mat because I'm, I really am comfortable with this mat. We would say, you are crazy. Jesus healed this man, set this man free to live a different life, not stay stuck in the old nasty one he knew all of his life. All right, example number two, Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus died. Jesus went to his funeral, stood outside of his tombstone. The man had been dead four days, and according to the King James Version, Lazarus stinketh. <laughs> Jesus stood at the tomb. Lazarus called out, said, Lazarus, come forth. And what the Bible tells us in John chapter 11 is that Lazarus comes forth, but I think he's kind of hopping because he had grave clothes on. He kind of looked like a mummy. So he was like hopping, hopping, hopping. And Jesus said, take the grave clothes off. In other words, Jesus said, stop acting like you're still dead. Take off the dead man's clothes. You're alive, live like it. Here's what Jesus was saying. You don't have to do what you used to do because you're not the person you used to be. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him.
So you're like, well, then how do I do that? So glad you asked. Here's the secret. To be able to walk into the life God wants you to live, to grow into maturity, there's one key to maturity. The secret to maturity, stability. You say, say what? Follow Paul's logic. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith. Paul here is, is, is speaking to this church, and here's the thing, you don't know this unless you just like study scholarly work. Most scholars believe that Paul was writing this after an earthquake in the region that devastated the region. The literal ground underneath the Colossians was unstable. Paul says, for you to live the Christian life, you need stability. Stay with me here. You understand that everything in our world is unstable. We are unstable politically, unstable economically, socially, and even theologically. Everything we're standing on in this world is shifting sand. The things that we have trusted in, we cannot count on. And here's what I've learned. When someone doesn't have stability, they lack the freedom to develop. Psychologists tell us that children who have stable homes thrive and develop physically and emotionally better than those who don't. Common sense would tell you this. A child needs stable parents, stable rules. Kids need rules. Amen? Now, I will tell you, rules without relationship leads to rebellion, but they still need rules. They need food, and they need love to thrive and develop. And kids who don't get stability end up struggling emotionally and even at times physically. As adults, we are constantly looking for stability. We look for stability in other people. And here's the problem, when you put your stability in other people, people will die, people will move, people will hurt you, and people will abandon you. People are unstable. Well, if you can't find your stability in people, then you're gonna find it in your career. And so you try to find your stability in what you do. The problem is the older you get, it changes. You put your stability in what you own or where you live, but, but those things tarnish over time. You put your stability in the approval of others, but that's the most unreliable source of stability in all what people think. See, the reality is, is that what we think can make us stable, healthy, and secure are fragile. So how can I grow in maturity? I've got to stand on stump, something that's stable. Who is it? Jesus. Paul says it, rooted in him. This is, this is botanical. It's an image of a tree with deep roots. Roots are what keeps plants and trees from blowing away. We know this hurricane season. The deeper the root goes, 
the stronger the tree can withstand the elements. Built up in him, that's architectural, grounded. The most important thing about construction is that you don't build a building that falls down. How do you make sure the building doesn't fall down? One, you have to make sure it's on a good foundation. Then you have to build properly on that foundation. Foundations are critical for construction. Jesus says the foolish man built his house on the sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Rooted in him, built up in him, established in the faith, not your faith. You don't wanna establish anything on your faith, but on the faith. The faith that was taught to you by the word of God, the gospel. So Paul says the secret to maturity is stability. That when you have deep roots and your building and your life is built on the right foundation and you are established in the gospel of God's word, you can then from that platform grow to maturity. This is what we got. This word. This book is what we build our lives on. This book is what we grow from. You will never become spiritually mature and neglect the study and meditation of God's word. And so what we have to understand is that Paul is teaching us that if you want to grow as a Christian, you have to have deep roots in the word. You have to have a strong foundation on the word. You have to be established in the word because the word will do the work. The word is what not only makes you a Christian, but it helps you grow in the Christian life. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the firm, stable, unmoving foundation that you can build your life on. He is the only thing, the only one that you can build your identity on and find your stability in because Jesus is the only one who can hold you up, keep you up, and grow you up. And when your life is built on Jesus, your faith will grow strong you will, become an, you will become immovable despite the wind of change and the pressure of the culture. You will be strong and able to stand. You'll be dependable and a source of strength to others, no longer looking for others to encourage you and keep you from falling. Because your hope is built on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest thing, but holy thing, I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And when your life is built on the gospel, you will grow. And how you know you are growing, you wanna know how you know you're growing? Last phrase, abounding in thanksgiving. Overflowing with thanksgiving. You know you're growing when you're grateful. The sign of spiritual maturity is gratitude. The more mature you get, the more grateful you are. Again, infants, think of a little baby. They're not very grateful. Their only language is cry. Every now and again they coo but mainly they cry. Children can say thank you, but most of the time they just feel entitled to everything. Adolescents have a little more perspective and they have a little more gratitude, 
but they still struggle. Adults are those who should be more grateful because they see life from a different perspective. And so when you grow as a Christian, you will grow in gratitude. How you can tell that whether or not you are growing as a Christian is are you growing in gratitude or are you growing in griping? Because some people have a PhD in griping. And here's why. Stay with me. Oh, my goodness. This is about to change your world. Give me a second. I'm almost done. Gratitude will combat the forces of discouragement, distraction, and disobedience. Because a heart of gratitude is fixed on Jesus and what he's done for you. And it's hard to be discouraged when you think of all you have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, your relationship with God is secure. In Jesus, your identity is protected. And in Jesus, your eternity is guaranteed. You say, well, pastor, my life is terrible. Well, according to the gospel, it's just temporary because something better is coming. Gratitude helps you stay focused on the right things and not be distracted by the lesser things. Gratitude will motivate you to obey more than guilt will. Guilt may keep you from disobeying for a minute, but gratitude can keep you from disobeying for a lifetime. Because if you never get over what Jesus has done for you, it makes you different. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't want to be an old fool. Do you? I don't want to be a curmudgeon. I don't want to be grumbly hateful. When I grow up, I want to be a loving, mature believer who is humbly grateful. But here's what I've also learned. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're mature. Sometimes younger people are more mature than older people. Here's, here's really the most important question of this message, and it's one I know you've been waiting on. Who you got for the Super Bowl? <laughs> Chiefs, 49ers. Okay? Chiefs fans? We got Chief folks here? All right? All four of you? Okay. <laughs> if we said Taylor Swift, it'd be like, ah! You know? 49ers. We got any 49ers? There we go. All right. There we go. Don't care. Yeah, there you go. All right. We're going to have a church service tonight at 6.30, okay? Come in here. We're going to take up a special offering. All right? Just kidding. All right. I've been asked this question all week. My kids all individually have asked me this question. I've given them the same answer. My answer, and here's the deal, all the teams I love lose, <laughs> is the 49ers. That's my team, okay? Why? It's because I like a guy named Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is 24-year-old starting quarterback for the 49ers. He was the last person drafted in the 2022 NFL draft. That's known as Mr. Irrelevant. The disparity between Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes is significant. Brock Purdy made $950,000 this year. So that's pretty good. Mahomes made $33.4 million this year. What I love about Brock Purdy 
Is it like Patrick Mahomes? He is, they are outspoken Christians. But what I really like about Brock Purdy is I see a consistency in what he says all throughout. And so on Monday, he was interviewed, and there were many, many interviews, but there was a recent interview that was done Monday, and they asked him about his approach to the biggest game of his life. I mean, the Super Bowl is a pretty big deal. Here's what he said. I mean, the bottom line is like life isn't about you. Like that's what I believe, you know, um, being a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, you know, you get wrapped up in getting all the glory and the fame and the status. It's, I feel like that's a shallow life and um, that, that can, you know, fade away pretty quickly. So for me, it's, you know, obviously, yeah, we're playing the Super Bowl. I'm very honored and thankful. I want to win a championship for this organization. But more than anything, I'm, you know, trying to just serve my guys on this team well and, and love on them well and the whole organization and everyone in my life. That's, that's how I view it. So. I mean, I don't know a ton of 24-year-olds who don't say me, 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 but he says, no, I want to, how can I serve? This is not my life. It, this is just fading. H how can Brock Purdy say things like that to the biggest game of his life? Because I believe in hearing his testimony and hearing him talk that he's rooted and built up and established in Jesus. I don't know what Super Bowls you're facing this week. I don't know what challenges you're going through. I don't know what wall you're up against. But if you want to grow up, you've got, to, you've got to put your focus on your foundation, who's Jesus Christ. And he's firm. And the winds come and the, the rains come, but they will not tear your house down because your life is built on Jesus. And when your life is built on Jesus, you just keep growing and growing and growing to be just more like Jesus. So I don't know where you are, but all I'm gonna tell you is this, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your word. God, I know we had a ton of content to cover this morning, but I pray that everything that was said would just give honor and glory to you, that God, every one of us, even, Lord, as I'm just preaching to myself today, Lord, that I would build my life on Jesus, not on anything else. That's the secret to maturity, is finding stability in Christ. So, Lord, help us to do that. The struggle is real. Discouragement, distraction, and disobedience, they're real. But help us to be grateful for all we have in Jesus and to know it's temporary because something better is coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing about building our lives on Jesus.